0: good to see you back again. So first I want to say welcome back home. This is the second day of year 2022. Who would have thought that we will survive 2021? (laughs) Amen. Those who survive say amen. (laughs) Amazing. The song that we're singing, uh, Grace is Running After Me, staying from Psalm 23 where David said that Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. His, his mercy and grace is running after me. Amazing. Um, so many things to thank God for, for, for uh, year 2021. Uh, 2022, I'm looking at, I'm very positive, I'm looking at things that, um, expecting great things from God. I, isn't it that God it's, uh, said that expect great things from God, aim for great things for God? So, at For year 2022, we're expecting things that that are going to happen that are amazing. It's going to happen for our church, not only for our church, but for this country. Now, having said that, we are continuing our journey uh, through the books of Joshua and Judges. So for for the whole year of 2022, we will be doing the book of Joshua and the book of Judges. We have finished the book of Numbers. (coughs) We will skip the book of Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy is just a recap Uh, repetition of the book of Leviticus and Numbers. But the book of Joshua is the continuation of the story of Israel. Uh, If you happen to have your Bibles, and I know you have from your (laughs) either your iPads or your cell phones, you can um, open it with me. Uh, Joshua chapter 1, we will do chapter 1 verses 1 through 18. Joshua 1 1 through 18. So October, December 31, uh, when, you know, we have fireworks outside, I was watching the news after midnight, and there was this news outlet that was playing um, the recap of 2021. In in fact, I think other uh, news outlet would do so, uh, not only here in the United States, but also in other countries. They were playing a recap of the highlights of what happened in 2021. And I was thinking this recap is giving us a chance to to um, give us a, a bird's eye view of history and uh, give us a sense of perspective as to what happened last year and what will happen uh, pro- possibly or probably this coming year. So I'm thinking Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 18 is a sort of a recap of what happened in the last 40 years of the life of Israel, and now, going forward to the life of Joshua and the new generation. So it's more of a recap. I'd like to read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1 of Joshua, and you can read with me. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Um, Of all the the recap it's uh, in a negative way when it says that Moses my servant is dead but but you see this is the the whole summary of the story of Israel in the 40 years of wandering because Moses was the one who led them out of Israel uh, out of Egypt to the wilderness and then uh, it ended before they even entered the promised land Moses my servant is dead according to verse 2 now this news is not new to Joshua In fact, for 30 days, they mourned the death of Moses. When Moses was about to be taken by the Lord, God told him that his ministry, that his leadership is about to end and that he has to go uh, and the transition of leadership will be placed on Joshua. And he knew about this. So Moses said goodbye and he went up to the mountain and disappeared and nobody saw him after that. In fact, the Bible said that Nobody saw the body of Moses. He was buried by God on top of Mount Nebo. And Joshua and the people all mourned for the death of Moses. Moses has been their leader for 40 years. Moses has been their leader all the way back to Egypt when they escaped the claws of Pharaoh. This was Moses. Moses has been with them for 40 years. Moses has led the people out of Egypt and wrought signs and wonders. Moses had this fair share of rebellion, by the way. But this Moses was beloved by the people. And this Moses, according to verse 2 of Joshua chapter 1, is now dead. Moses, my servant, is dead. As if you can hear the tone of Joshua, and God God did not even bat an eyelash when he said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Because he quickly transitioned to the following words in the text. It says, now, therefore joshua arise go over this jordan now this tells me two things number one god has a plan and his plan is not will not be stopped just because simply his servant dies second to that is that according to his plan and in his plan there's always a transition if his servant dies another replaces because god's plan is about his plan it's not about moses it's not about joshua it's about his plan for the world and that tells me that we leaders of the church and we christians even the church are dispensable we can be replaced but what remains is the plan of god for the redemption of the world moses my servant is dead and then he quickly transitioned to joshua saying go arise and go to jordan I think if there's any insight to this, is this. I think kings, dictators, Caesars, and emperors assume that when they come to power, it is somehow that they will reign forever. There's a feeling that they will be there forever, that they will be, that they will hold the power forever. See, any leadership position has its own time frame. And the more we accept that we have roles to play in a limited time frame, the better we are to function effectively. Verse 1 says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, Moses, my servant, is dead. That sounds like an obituary for Moses. Now, it's a very short obituary. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, after all the things that Moses did for God, after all the sacrifices he did for God, his obituary was short. Why is it short? Listen carefully. It was short because, to begin with, it's not about Moses. It's about God. And second we have to expect that this reward is not on earth, but in heaven. And just like any of us here doing our ministry in the church, serving the Lord, our obituary will also be short. Moses, my servant, is dead. It's going to be Norbert, my servant, is dead. It's the same thing. Because our reward, our congratulations at the end of the day is not here on earth, but with God in heaven. Amen to that. Now, According to Joshua chapter 1 verses 2 to 5, he transitioned to Joshua and now it says, Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon I have given to you, just as I promised Moses, from the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, The river Euphrates and all the land of the Hittites and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is an amazing passage. And I'm sure you you have read about this before. You have studied this before. And probably you are wondering, what does this mean? What does this passage mean? Now, first and foremost, the Israelites have been given a promise all the way back from Abraham. When God appeared to Abraham, he gave them a promise that he will own this piece of land where he was before then. And then his descendants will inherit the land. So this promise of inheriting this promised land, that's why it's promised, was given first and foremost to Abraham and then passed on to Isaac and then to Jacob and then the 12 tribes of Israel and then the nation of Israel right now with Joshua. Now, we already know that not only that they were promised to be given a land, they were also promised to become a nation, Je- uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 3. Now, to become a nation, they must have a p- their own huge population. They must have a national god, their god of their own, and they must have a territory. At this point in the wilderness, they don't have a territory yet. So they're looking forward for this territory. They're looking forward to this promised land. This is like a boy who's, you know, uh, December 24, December 25, he will have to come down early in the morning and open his gift. So Israel at this point is at the doorsteps of Canaan about to open their gift. They're about to cross the Jordan. They're about to get into the land that was promised to them by God. This is the point where they have all been excited. They're excited to go into the land. But here's the thing. It's not really about the land. Why is it not about the land? Now, we already know that there's a transition from Moses to Joshua. There's also a transition here from the wilderness to the promised land. But you see, the point is not the promised land. The point is the presence of God. Go back again to verse 5. It says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. There was also a point in time where they were in the wilderness already, and the people rebelled against God. And God said, I will not go with you anymore. But Moses pleaded God, and God said to Josh, to, to Moses, I will be with you. Moses said to God, If your presence is not going to be with us, then it's pointless to go ahead. Because the point of it all is the presence of God to be with them. It's not the promised land. It's the presence of God to be with them. Do not get tricked into this because if you think carefully, the land means nothing unless the presence of God is with them. Here's the comparison. The land of Eden, the Garden of Eden, is nothing special if not for the presence of God. Would you say amen to that? The tabernacle is just a piece of tent if not for the presence of God. The land of Canaan is nothing special except for the presence of God. I mean, the Philippines is more beautiful than Israel, <laughs> I would say. But see, there's nothing special. This is just a piece of real estate unless the presence of God is there. It's not, it's not about the land. It's about the presence of God. See, one more thing. The presence of God is not beholden to a particular place. In fact, it was in Samuel that God said to David when David was all sitting pretty and he built his palace, and he said, "Why is my God? Why is the throne of God still in the tent? It's a portable tent. There was no temple yet." So God, so David told uh, God, "I want to build you a temple because I want to house your tabernacle, your your Ark of the Covenant, inside a more permanent structure." But God said to David, "God does not live in." in buildings made by human hands. God is sovereign. See, here's the point. The point is that the presence of God is the main point of this. It's not the land. It's not the structure. The presence of God, regardless of, regardless of where it's placed, um, talking about the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant, regardless of whether it's in the tent or in the permanent structure of the temple, uh, is nothing compared to the presence of God being there. So when Jesus came, and then when he left, he said, I, I will not leave you orphans, I will send my Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will dwell within you. The church became the temple of God. That means God is not beholden to any structure. So that means whether be it in cathedral, a theater, or a park, as long as we gather, with the people, with the church, the presence of God is here. God does not inhabit buildings and places. God inhabits us, the church. That's what's being taught in the New Testament here. Now, what does it mean, what does it mean then for the presence of God to be here? That means when we gather, any time, any day, any place, is where the presence of God is. Now, I've heard stories about... uh, a number of people whose main preoccupation in life was to become rich and successful. And when they reached it, they found themselves to be alone, unhappy, and without meaning. You see, the real meaning of life is not found in the things that we do. It can only be found from the source that is God. So the Israelites were excited to enter the land because they thought that would will The land will give them the greatest fulfillment. I mean, for 40 years, they've been waiting for this land. And finally, when they reached the land, it was nothing. It was just a piece of land, rocks and soil and land, nothing. But because the presence of God is there, it becomes special. See, I see the same thing that, you know, what we do here. We, We set our hopes and our ambitions and our goals on things that we think we can achieve. And then when we finally get them, we, we found ourselves to be unfulfilled and unhappy. Why? Because the real meaning of life does not reside on things that we get, but on the source that is God alone. Let me ask you this. Say for example, so, so some people would see meaning, would find meaning, would seek meaning from their careers, or from families, from relationships, or from education. So. So what will become of people who have sought all their lives for riches and finally they become the CEO of their own company and they're now they're earning? What will, become, what will become next? What will happen then if you're earning? What, what's next after earning a lot? Uh, if you've invested everything on your kids and relationship, and when your kids grow up, they get married, they get out of the house, what then? What becomes the meaning of your life? Or if you've been in a relationship for 30, 40 years and your significant other dies, what then? Say, for example, you have achieved all your goals and dreams and then after that have nothing to look forward to. What then? What's the meaning of life? If you're a baby boomer or a generation X like me or a millennial, you are living in a period that we call the postmodern age. This is the age where we embrace distrust of authority. We do not like control. We like to question traditions and dogma. But what we cannot escape, all of us, what we cannot escape is that annoying feeling when you're lying in bed and you're in between sleep and you're asking yourself, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Have you had that kind of experience? This is an existential question. We seek meaning because that's most important to us. There's this rock star who lived in the 90s. His name is Kurt Cobain. Are you familiar with him? He's w- one of the most famous rock stars of his generation, Kurt Cobain. If you have heard of uh, the band Nirvana, that's him, Kurt Cobain. Nirvana is a, is a Buddhist term for the blissful state of no suffering and all bliss. Okay, that's Nirvana. That's their equivalent of heaven for us. Kirk Cobain (coughs) became so famous, but at the height of his success, in April 5, 1994, he shot himself with a shotgun that he bought from a friend. He committed suicide. And when the investigators searched his place, they found a suicide note with a quote from Neil Young's lyric It says, and I quote, it is better to burn out than fade away, unquote. I really don't know why he committed suicide. But maybe he did not find any meaning after all. After all the success and the height of his career, he did not find any meaning of it all. Now, there are countless people who committed suicide, and I don't know their personal reasons. But we are asking the same questions. What's the meaning of life? What is all this for? The Israelites are looking forward to entering the land, and to them, it's all about the land. But make no mistake, it's not about the land, it's about the presence of God in the land. You see, if we forget that we, the humanity, is made from the image of God, then we will manufacture our own meaning. We will find meaning in things, in buying things. That's why people do shopping spree. If we do not find meaning from God, we will manufacture our own meaning by having meaning from our kids or from our significant others, or from our career, or from just simply f- doing things, achieving things. The purpose of our lives can only be realized in the roles that God has prepared for us. Understand that God has prepared a role for you. You have to find what it is. Verses 6 up to 9, you have your Bibles. It says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause these people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and courageous. Being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will will make your way prosperous then you will have good success, have I not commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's, it keeps repeating again and again. The Lord is with you wherever you go. Now, the, the phrases, be strong and courageous, have been repeated four times in these 18 verses, chapter 1 of the book of Joshua. Four times. That means it's really important. Be strong and courageous. Now, why is God telling Joshua to be strong and courageous? Now, number one, what is ahead of them, him, is a huge pressure to fill in the shoes of Moses. Moses was their leader. Moses was able to do signs and wonders and was able to lead the people out from Egypt to the wilderness. Joshua have this pressure. Will I be able to match what Moses did? So God is telling him to be strong and courageous. Second to that, he knows that the moment he enters the promised land, all the inhabitants of the land of Canaan are all armed to the teeth. They will be vulnerable. What will be his strategy? There's a one big pressure. But I think if there's anything that's pressuring him, is from within. See, Moses had his fair share of rebellion for over 40 years in the wilderness. Moses have been thinking if they, the beloved Moses, who wrought signs and wonders, mighty and power, and people rebelled, he knew that this people that he's leading will also do the same, rebel. And what will he do? And for all these reasons, God is telling him to be strong and courageous. I think this is the context why God is telling him to be strong and courageous. But what does it mean? Being careful to do, verse 7, according to the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. It says, do not turn to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Do not turn to the right or to the left. What does this mean? I think uh, somehow when you have read this, not even for the first time, when you have read this, to not turn to the left or to the right, you have probably read Deuteronomy chapter 5 and chapter 28 verse 14 where also it is said by God to Moses do not turn to the right or to the left it was said here that means this is not a new thing so imagine this God has placed a pathway for you and God's telling you to use this pathway even though there are many pathways to life God is telling you to use this one pathway this pathway will lead to his will do not turn to the right or to the left means do not stray from that one pathway. You reme- Remember, um, I remember some people would say that there are many pathways to God. So it's up to you to decide whether what kind of or which pathway you will choose. But here's the thing. God is giving them a very specific pathway that they have to choose in, in the context of Joshua, God is giving him a specific pathway. Do not turn to the right or to the left so that you may be successful. What, what does it mean not to turn to the right or to the left? Turning to the right or to the left uh, is turning away from the, pres- from the will of God. That means if Israel will go to the promised land and they see the enemy and they and they felt discouraged, they will turn back to Egypt and be slaves again. That's a different pathway. And another pathway would be if they go into the land and probably have become so arrogant that they think it's all up to them, it's not up to God, then it's a different pathway as well. Uh, or possibly when they enter the land and they see, wow, these people are worshiping other gods and they have uh, you know, more adventurous and... A better life than us, then maybe we can adopt their gods. This is also a different pathway to them. And God is telling Joshua to just take this pathway, do not turn to the left or to the right. Just stick to this pathway. Another thing that God told Joshua is to meditate on the word of God. Now we've been we've been to Joshua chapter 1, verse 8 all our lives. And we know, and we have been reading this, how to meditate on the Word of God. What does meditate mean? See, this meditate has nothing to do with our understanding of meditation today. Because our meditation today is based from the Buddhist concept of meditation. When you sit in lotus position, you breathe slowly, and you empty your minds. That's for us the modern word for meditation. But the ancient Near Eastern concept of meditation is different. The Hebrew concept of meditation is different. The Hebrew word for meditation is haggah. Repeat after me, haggah. That's the Hebrew word for meditation, haggah. So when Joshua, sorry, when God was telling Joshua, meditate on it day and night, he was saying haga, me meditate on it day and night. But what does haga mean? Picture a lion who's about to jump on a prey. There's a silent growl. Haga. He's concentrating on the prey. He's about to pounce on the prey. Haga. Picture a boxer who is about to—he's waiting for the final bell—who is about to fight his opponent. Haga. Or picture a student who is mumbling words before he gets to the final exam. Haga. This is the moment of concentration. Haga. This is not emptying your minds. This is about keeping quiet. This is about concentrating on the word so that you don't turn to the left or to the right. Haga. Because the only way to success, the only way that guarantees the conquest of the land is if Joshua, their leader, meditates, concentrates on the book of the law. What is the book of the law? The book of the law tells them who God is and how he is properly worshipped. The book of the law also tells them who they are and how they are supposed to live their lives as a holy nation, a royal priesthood. See, people are misled to think that there are 12 steps to freedom in the Bible. Or, sorry, should I say 12 steps to financial freedom. Or some people are looking for the seven steps to a successful career in the book of Joshua. Now, verse 8 is not a magical, magical formula either. Because some people would think that the more they read the Bible uh, ritually, the more they memorize their Bible ritually, the more they will have success in life. Now, it doesn't work that way. Success in the book of Joshua is in the context of obeying the will of God so that they are able to conquer the whole land of Canaan. That's success. This is how the scriptures define success. It has nothing to do with getting rich something to do with getting into the land and being able to drive out the inhabitants of the land. That's success. How is this related to the whole biblical narrative? How is this related to from Genesis to Revelation? How is this related to the whole story of the Bible? Now, verses 13 and 15 will give us a clue. It says, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, And I will give you this land. Now take note of the word rest. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock will remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest again to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Twice. Twice. It was mentioned the word rest because this is important here. The passage talks about the place of rest. Let me take you back from where this all begins. If you're reading your Bible and you start with Genesis, you come to Genesis 1, God created everything. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve failed and then they were expelled from the garden. Genesis chapter 5, you go with all the names of the people beginning from Adam to Noah. These are generations that God placed in Genesis chapter 5 to give us a message. At the very end of verse 28 and 29, Genesis, twen- Genesis 5, Noah was born. And here it says, When Lamech had lived 182 years, wonder why 182 years. Um, maybe he was vegan. I don't know. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. It is amazing. The word Noah uh, sounds like rest or relief. That's according to the Hebrew dictionary. Noah means rest or relief. The moment also you heard the phrase, the ground that the Lord has cursed, you're reminded that this something to do with Adam when he was expelled in the Garden of Eden. So the idea is that beginning from the time when Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, people do not have rest. Remember Cain. Cain was said to be when he was cursed by God. Also, he became a restless wanderer. Wanderer. And so that the idea is that from beginning from Adam, Cain, and the rest until. Genesis chapter 5, the people have become restless wanderers like Cain. They don't have rest. And when you talk about rest, we're talking about Genesis 1. When at the very end of the seventh day, God rested. See, this rest has nothing to do with God being tired or taking a break because he's exhausted. God's rest, the Sabbath day, has something to do with the completion of his project. So the idea is that when God has completed this project, he sat down and reigned, not rested because He tired, but reigned or ruled. That's rest here. That's Sabbath here. See, when, when the people were expelled from the Garden of Eden, God is, has brought a plan to bring them back, to give them rest so that they can rule with God, seventh day, Sabbath day. There's a, another word for this one. The, the Jews... Uh, use the term Tikkun Olam. Tikkun Olam means repair the world. Their understanding is that the Torah is given by God so that he will repair the world. All the things about righteousness, justice, and mercy are all working for the repairing of the world. There's this bishop, uh, British bishop, who has been writing books, and he was talking about putting the, world's, the world to rights. The idea of God's righteousness and justice is that God is is putting the world to rights, making things right, repairing the world for its corruption. Uh, Another word or words that we know about Tikkun Olam is Shabbat Shalom. Sabbath, which is the seventh day, and Shalom is peace. Shabbat Shalom has something to do with the completion of God's rule on earth. This Shikon Olam, Repairing the World, and Shabbat Shalom, both are in connection to God's project of completion for the world. God's bringing rest for the world. So when it says that Noah was born, Noah was supposed to give them a sense of rest. Finally, this one guy, when he's born, his ministry will be characterized by a sense of rest, a relief, a sense of, A sense of repair for the world. That's what's uh, uh, allusioned here. Why is it like that? Because after Adam and Eve, the world has gone corrupt. Not only that the world has gone corrupt, our system is broken, the people are broken, the world that we live is broken. So that when we pray, may his kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's in heaven. We are effectively praying for god to come over and repair the world that we are in his kingdom come so that he will reign with us that's the idea of that prayer and that means the more we pray and the more we meditate on this prayer we are submitting our will to god so that his will will happen in this land so effectively we are becoming israel bringing the kingdom rule of god from the wilderness to the land of canaan as Christians, as a church, we are bringing the kingdom of God from where we are to our homes, to our workplace, to our place of friendship, repairing the world. May his kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are like the present-day Noah. When we were born, repair is given, rest is given for the world because of us. What I find fascinating about these studies, when I was reading Joshua chapter 1, And then I read side by side Matthew 28. This is amazing. This is fascinating on two counts. Number one, Joshua starts with the phrase, after the death of Moses. Can you see that? Joshua 1, 1, after the death of Moses. Now, Matthew 28 also starts with the same thing. After Sabbath, dot, 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 Mary 1 and Mary 2, and Mary and Magdalene, another Mary, went to see the tomb. So Joshua chapter 1 talks about after the death of Moses, Matthew 28 talks about the death of another person. After Sabbath, we know that Jesus died Friday afternoon and Sunday morning he will risen from the dead. I think this is not a coincidence because Matthew is alluding to Joshua chapter 1. God is is telling him that there's some connection between Joshua chapter 1 and Matthew 28. Now this is uh, secondly, this is very interesting because God told Joshua, be strong and courageous. And in fact, when the women went to the tomb to look for the body of Jesus, they, find, they found no body there. Instead, they found an angel. And the angel told them, do not be afraid. See, this is, this is fascinating because these are connected. These two passages are connected. Next thing you know, from verses 16 to 20, Jesus was telling his disciples to go, therefore, and make disciples. And what do we find in verse 2 of Joshua? Go, therefore, arise, and enter the land cross the Jordan River. This is amazing. So Jesus was, in the same way that God has told Joshua, to go, arise, and enter the land. Jesus was here, in Matthew 28, was instructing his disciples, to make disciples out of every people in the land. The difference is that Joshua will have to enter the land and do some pushbacks. He will have to drive out the inhabitants of the land. Jesus was telling his disciples to convert every person in the land. You don't push people in the land, from the land, but you convert them and make them disciples of all nations. See, the beauty of Canaan during the time of Joshua is, was that because it was filled with all nations already. There were different nationalities in Canaan during his time. And in the time of Jesus, it's the same thing. The Palestine was inhabited by many nationalities already. And so in the same way, what we're saying is that there's a very good comparison between Joshua chapter 1 and Matthew 28. The key... To the two words that we mentioned, rest, the key to navigating rest, the key to, to navigating this beautiful but broken world is the understanding of Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Joshua 1 verse 9 says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now understand this. This is the second day of 2022. We don't know what will happen this year. We are anticipating great things from God. But we still don't know what will happen. COVID still here. We don't know what, what next variant will come. And even in this uncertainty, we have to navigate. We have to survive. We have to flourish. How do we navigate this world? According to verse 9, it says, Be strong and courageous. See his message to Joshua is still the same with us. Be strong and courageous. But why are we going to be strong and courageous? And what guarantee do we have that if we become strong and courageous, we will have success? See, the key to the presence, s- the key to navigating this world is the presence of God with us. He said, For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It is for this very reason as well that Jesus' last words to his disciples in Matthew twenty-eight twenty is this, Behold, I am with you always to the ends of the world. Now, this is very interesting because it's the same character, it's the same tone, same annuity that God has told Joshua (coughs) and Jesus has told his disciples. It's really not about the land. It's about the presence of God with us. Beloved, this is the start of 2022. 2022. Things are still uncertain. Um, Things can go wrong. But then as a church, we are being called to become strong and courageous. Um, For Joshua, he is faced with different challenges. For us, we are also faced with the same challenges. One of the things that we are expected is to flourish, not just uh, in our individual capacity, but as a church. I am dreaming that this year God will do something special for us that we will fill this place with new disciples of Jesus. Will you dream with me for that? Would, would you want us to grow not just in, in maturity but also in numbers? I'm dreaming for that. I pray that you will desire also to have that. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. this encouragement just as you have encouraged joshua to be strong and courageous because of your presence i pray father that you will encourage us covid or not your presence is with us pandemic or not your presence is with us Few or not your presence is with us father will you encourage us that at the beginning of this year no matter how life is uncertain this year but we will hope and we will believe you and we will trust you and we will take courage because your presence is with us. In Jesus' name we pray.